Welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I'm lost in this cavern. Yeah. Hello. Oh, oh. <laughs> um, you know, in, in GarageBand, I probably could make an echo there and it'd be a lot of fun. Uh, I think my version was better. Uh, true. That's um, fair enough. Yeah. I tell you, you are in the process of moving. So we are in a big empty room. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> you come to realize that like my, my giant uh, wall of movies and then our posters and stuff actually did kind of absorb the sound. So, yeah, well, and it really tied the room together. I think so. Yes. Um, thankfully I've still got my, some of my Riddlers up just in case, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, and it does actually let me know that the moment I move to the new place, I'm going to have to put all that stuff up as soon as I can. Now, tell me if I'm wrong, that you have to have Riddlers in sight at all times. Yes. Well, it's one of the reasons why I got that Riddler, uh, iPhone (laughs) case because you know, sometimes you're like George trying to move the Frogger machine. (laughs) Exactly. You got to keep it plugged in. Exactly. You got to yes. keep yourself. I'm plugged uh, into the Riddler. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause sometimes I'm at school where people don't care about the Riddler at all. Hard it would imagine. appear. Uh, and so, but although they actually, each of them are kind of playing out their own version of the Riddler, you know, desperately wanting everyone to know how smart they are. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, but enough of my, uh, indictment of, uh, uh, uh what do you call that? Academia. Higher, edu- higher education and oh, academia. Okay. Um, Look, the point here is that this episode is brought to you by Mubi. That's always the point. A curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, David. Every day. Every single day. Every single day. Thank you. Uh, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $5.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Currently available on Mubi is Sophie... H-U-B-E-R. Huber? Hubber? Huber? Huber. That sounds good. Let's say that. Huber. Sophie Huber's tribute to one of the greatest character actors of all time. Harry Dean Stanton, partly fiction, explores the odd mystique of this fascinating actor. Now, I actually have not seen this film, but you have, and you enjoyed it, and you have a story about seeing it. I saw saw it at the LA Film Festival in uh, 2013, I think. Um, I remember sitting next to our friend Kyle Anderson, uh, former BP contributor, now a big shot over at Nerdist. Right. Um, A lot of people wear wear a launching pad. You know that? Yeah. Not for us, but everybody <laughs> uh, else. We're holding it down over here. Yeah. Um, Kingmakers. That's what I like to think of us as. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll be remembered as the the groundlings of, sure. <laughs> of movie podcasting. Exactly. Anyway. Not the second city. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, I uh, saw it with, with Kyle Anderson. Um, it's, a, it's a really, really cool movie because um, it is sort of, you know, about harry dean stanton's life and career but it also mm-hmm. has a lot of um just current sort of you know just him hanging out at uh dantana's which is the bar on santa monica by uh mm-hmm. just uh just east of doheny by the troubadour which is where he still hangs out uh and just drinks and then goes out you know takes a cigarette break out on the sidewalk yeah uh because he still smokes like crazy I and mean, then he has like they interview people about him, but they have people over to Harry Dean Stanton's house. So it's him. And then, so it'll be like my favorite part. Speaking of smoking is Harry Dean Stanton, um, and David Lynch sitting on the couch together. Um, it's a three person couch. They're mm-hmm. on either end. The center cushion is occupied by an ashtray of because they are both chain smoking uh, the entire time. 
Um, and you've got clips from all kinds of stuff from Paris, Texas to like, yeah. uh, weird stuff like Cisco Pike, which is a movie he made with Chris Christopherson. Hmm. Um, but then the best part about seeing I mean, the movie is great, but the best part about seeing it then is that after the movie was over, Harry Dean Stanton was there and did a little Q and a, but then he sang. Nice. Yeah. He, he sang some, uh, like old, um, it was like half in Spanish. The, this song, there's this sort of old, like cowboy, uh, rancher type, uh, song. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I remember me and Kyle both having to sort of lean forward because Harry Dean Stanton is still going strong in many ways, but also sure. he's, you know, at this point he was probably 80 something years old. He, yeah. uh, he doesn't exactly, you know, hit the back of the room you <laughs> right, know, right. Uh, when he talks anymore. Um, but, uh, yeah, the movie's, the movie's a, a, a delight and, uh, it's, you know, it's not your standard documentary. It has its own personality and I feel like it has the personality of Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's the key. If you are, if you're making like this very clinical do- uh, documentary about Harry Dean Stanton, I think you are doing it very wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so that is available at Mubi and there is a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for one month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship. That's how you get the free month slash Battleship to redeem now. And I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com earbuds. This is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives and they're available. These earbuds at a low, low price over at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, because you're smart and savvy and cool and we know you uh, and vouch for you, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Okay. It's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler. Yes? Uh, we, can't, we can't bullshit anymore. We can't. We, 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 I bet we could. I think we can't we can, fuck around. We, yeah. there's, I know there's stuff going on in the news we got to talk about. Sure. I don't know. What's going on in the news? Uh, uh, CNN fired three reporters. I, I guess I meant the movie. News. Oh, got it. Okay. Nothing. <laughs> um, not, literally nothing. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's all kinds of stuff that, uh, that that's, that's probably annoying me uh, probably, yeah. right now, but no, we're going to get to introducing our guest. Mm. Um, this guy has been like, well, we, we can't say friend of the show. Or we can say friend of the show now. Right. We couldn't say friend of the show before because we have a strict policy. If you have to be on the right. show to be a friend of the show. Uh, and even though we have a lot of friends of the show, there is really only one person whose official title is friend of the show, which is Jason Aiken. Right. Even but though we refer that's to that's been expanded. Number. Yes. To yes. Um, uh, friend of the show and inexplicable fan favorite, Jason. Egan. Yes, that's, that's right. That's yes. his full title now. Yeah. Um, but no, this is a, a guy we've known from Twitter and email no. uh, for a long time, and he's in town, and he was gracious enough to fit us into our schedule. Uh, he's an editor over at Marvel Comics. Uh, Jake, Th- Jake Thomas, welcome. Hello. Hi, guys. <laughs> uh, it's awesome to be here. Yeah. Uh, we've been talking for a while, but now I get yeah. to 
stare into your beautiful punums and it's a uh, great it's a beautiful thing um well yeah i don't hear that word very often outside of my mother-in-law's house um so how you doing Good man, uh, I'm I'm loving LA. I've never been here, okay. So this is my first time out, and um, I, I've just been driving around. Sometimes I've been uh, going to a bunch of meetings, talking to a bunch of people, and and uh, so you're I here love for it. you're here for work, <clears throat> kind of. I, um, I I do writing of my own, and I've been uh, trying to get some of my own stuff out there in the world. So it was about time to make the trip. So you're going to um, move out here is what you're telling me. Maybe. Hopefully. All right. Now we're talking. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Have you thought about the big one coming? Is there, are you sure this is the time you want to move to, to Los Angeles? I've, I've heard people talking coming. about the big one. Yeah. yeah. Um, Word on the street. Yeah. Is it, uh, it's fine. You know, I, I grew up in Florida a lot uh, for, for a large portion of my childhood. So I, I, I made it through the hurricanes. I think I can take on mm. uh, the the... The big one. Yeah, sure. Bring it on. <laughs> um, don't tempt the big one. <laughs> the San Andreas Fault is right. You can hear us. I like that this is as close as you get to religion, David. <laughs> uh, actually, I, I, um, I think we'll all be fine because I uh, just came from dinner with a friend of mine, Matt Lambert, who writes for the show Into the Badlands. Uh-huh. Figured that out. Yeah. And um, uh, he was a New York buddy of mine who moved out here um, and he's sort of a punk rock dude. Uh, and so he was excited for earthquakes. He was like, all right, man, I can't wait to feel these earthquakes. Uh, and uh, I think a couple months after he moved, there was the big earthquake in D.C. that you could feel in New York. Oh, wow. uh, right. We actually felt it in the Marvel offices. Like you could feel I remember uh, the shake there. And he missed that. He was like, oh, well, I'll get another one. I'll, like, I'll, I'll get it. And he still hasn't gotten an earthquake yet. And I don't think he ever will. So um, I think just to no, spite Matt Lambert. Uh, he will. He must not have been out here that long. I mean, there was a big, there was a large one in 2014, I think was the last one. Yeah, it was jarring, that one. That was because that was usually I, I'm a very deep sleeper. And usually if one happens when I'm asleep, I, I miss it. Mm. That 2014 one woke me up. Yeah. Um, uh, which is the only time that's happened. My first bit, like I mean, I, my first big one, I moved out here in September of 2005. And I think it was maybe July of 08, I think was the first big one that I remember. And I was, uh, uh, I was at work. This was back when I was a temp at the records and archives department at, uh, in, at MGM when they were in century city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mentioned that specifically because, um, it's a 35 store, 35 story tall building, but it was built in the 21st century. And therefore like a lot of recent tall buildings, it's on rollers and it's foundation. Yeah. Um, and so I was walking down a very long hallway when I guess the earthquake started, my walking meant I didn't notice it. I was walking to my boss's boss's office. And as soon as I stopped in her doorway and I was like, Hey Sue, whoa. <laughs> and she kind of laughed at me cause she's an LA vet. And she was like, is this your first, <laughs> first earthquake? Uh, but that was a big one. I remember and my friend, uh, my friend Al, uh, was up at the, um, having a smoke break on the 11th floor mm. uh, smoker's patio, which meant there are 25 stories above him. Yeah. And he said when he, when, when the earthquake hit and he looked up, he could see the entire building just sort of like Boy. swaying, like one of those like balloon men outside of the garden, like auto repair place. I had a certain degree of relief on that. Uh, that I remember the earthquake you're talking about there. It was about two in the afternoon. I remember because I was making a delivery. I was working for that post-production house. And so I was making a delivery and I was sitting in traffic uh, in Glendale 
and it was my old uh, 95 Explorer, which had, you know, problems. And <laughs> so then I feel like it started to shake. I'm like, son of a bitch, am I going to have to take this car in? Like, I thought it was the car itself. And then when I arrived making the delivery, they said like, hey, man, did you feel that earthquake? And I thought like, I did not. Oh, wait, no, I did. Oh, thank God. I don't have to take my car in. <laughs> so, yeah, I was very excited by um, that. The best, the best thing about earthquakes now Okay. Um, God, it's so echoey in here. Sorry. Um, I wonder if that's picking up on the mic. Uh, but you know, now in the current age, the best, best thing about earthquakes is earthquake Twitter. Sure. It's, uh, I think they're used to, I, my, and my wife is not a Twitter person. So if there's an earthquake, she's like going on to whatever she's Googling. Like, was yeah. there an earthquake? My first stop is Twitter to see it because everyone in Los Angeles who has a Twitter account tweets earthquake. Yeah. As soon as there's an earthquake. Um, that's my favorite thing about earthquakes yeah. now. Uh, yeah, if they happen at like two a.m. when or three a.m. when I'm awake, uh-huh. it's fun to see who. Like, okay, who do I know that's awake? Uh-huh. Well, that's how you find out <laughs> because there will be four people saying earthquake. It's like, hey, we should all go out and get some coffee. Um, yeah, I'll say this: uh, now that I'm moving to a freestanding house, I am a lot more frightened of the big one. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm part of an HOA now. Who cares? Uh, oh, but in a week, yeah. I won't be. And uh, any damage that we, we we will have earthquake insurance, but any damage that we uh, incur will greatly lower the property value, which I'm not, uh, I never thought I would care much about that, but I do. Anyway, so, Jake, enough of that. We've, we've, we've dominated the conversation because we, oh. you have so few earthquake stories and we have so, so many. I know, I know. It's great though. Hey, this is, this is the real <laughs> LA experience I came here for. Swapping earthquake stories. Uh, and just having yeah. two guys be totally self-absorbed and ignore you. <laughs> right. You yeah. are getting the LA experience. Looking over your shoulder to see if anyone more important has entered the room. <laughs> That's a very LA experience. Um, um, and, uh, okay. Let me ask you, you say you're, you, you lived in Florida. Is that where you're born? Where are you from? Uh, I was born in North Carolina, okay. but left there pretty early. I lived in Florida most of my life, a little bit in Georgia. Um, but actually now I, I've lived in New York most of my life. I've lived in New York longer than I've lived anywhere else. I came there in 2000. So 17 years. Um, yeah, that's my, my background there as far as geography goes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So East coast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Largely the South until I became a Yankee. Uh, um, And yeah, I've lived in New York for a long time now, and it's great. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful city, but it's also insane. Our, um, my, my news that I can isolate you guys with is, is uh, the subway. I don't know if you guys have been seeing that all of the the subway is falling apart. They just Hmm. had a derailment apparently uh, uh, earlier today. Well, the thing I know about it is that anytime the mayor makes any kind of statement, everyone's reaction is shut up and fix the subway. <laughs> That's yeah. become like a meme, I guess, or whatever now. Yeah. I believe the MTA released an official statement recently that said, we know the service is bad. We can't do anything. Sorry. <laughs> like, well, uh, I guess uh, acknowledging, yeah, 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 acknowledging you have a problem. Step, is the first yeah, step. Yeah. You know, hanging a lantern on it is a writer's trick. That is not, <laughs> that should not be a, a city utility trick. Um, okay. Sorry. Go on. Um, well, I was, I was going to ask, uh, how you got to work, uh, for Marvel, but I forgot, I forgot first we got a, oh, right. we have a postcard, um, from a, from a friend of ours. This is Peter who lives in Santa Monica. We oh, met yeah, him. Yeah. He came to our, uh, episode 500 meetup at That's the Tonga right. hut in North Hollywood. That was a fun time. And he, but he sent us a, a, a postcard that's in, it's in scope. I think, yeah, <laughs> that might be a little a little wider than scope, uh, but it's uh, from Bryce Canyon, and he suggests that we. This is actually a good idea that we do a profile episode about Merchant and Ivory. 
Oh, sure. Absolutely. That would be a fun one. I would need to um, see a, lot, uh, a fair number of their films. but Yeah, uh, but especially since uh, uh, the movie Maurice was just uh, re- restored, and I think it's coming out. Someone's putting it out on, on, on Blu-ray, um, so that'll be exciting. We should do a Merchant and Ivory. So thank you, Peter, yeah. for the postcard. We like postcards. If you want to send us stuff, our P.O. box is on the website. Okay. That was exciting, right, Jake? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually got to see the postcard, so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Um, so how did you get to, to work for Marvel? Uh, through theater, weirdly. Uh, okay. That's what I went to school for. I, I didn't win any awards in high school, but they still let me in, <laughs> which is nice. This is um, like that that Lewis Black joke about if it weren't for my horse, I wouldn't have spent that year in college. Okay, now I have to figure out how theater got you to be an editor at Marvel. Um a bunch of the people who work at Marvel uh, actually started in theater um, because uh, you, as, a, as a student of theater, um, directing and acting and all of that, you sort of have to break down story. you got to be real familiar with characters and arc, and not just that, but uh, visual storytelling as well, dynamic right. images and, and uh, pushing expression and that kind of stuff. So there's a bunch of people in there. And also, uh, theater people are all much more poor and desperate than film people are. Like Film people, <laughs> you can manage to find some kind of job frequently somewhere. Uh, theater people are all starving and desperate out there. So eventually, they're going to come looking for a real job. And okay. comics scoop some of them up. Uh, so I, uh, when I was at NYU, I'd actually never read comics. I like that theater is such... A shaky, like pursuit that working in comic books is the like it's the safety. Oh yeah, yeah. I, and they they look at people that work in film and be like, you guys have no idea what it's like <laughs> to struggle. Uh, so I I went to NYU for theater, and while I was there, um, I, I I produced a bunch of stuff and and wrote and acted in a bunch of stuff. And one of the things that I did was a uh, weekly sketch and variety show where we would. Um, uh, write the show in a week, put it up. Um, uh, we did it like an old timey radio show. And then, uh, at the end of the show, we take a suggestion from the audience to write next week's show. And we'd write based off of that <laughs> suggestion. So it just got us in the habit of writing and producing things really fast. And, um, one of the guys who I brought in there, uh, was a film guy named Sean Ryan, who, um, now writes for comics. Um, okay. And he, but this he was is not the Sean Ryan who writes the shield. TV? No, no different <laughs> Sean Ryan, uh, which is actually very funny because I am also staying with the other Kyle Anderson. Uh, I'm staying <laughs> oh, yeah. with entertainment weekly's Kyle Anderson oh, really? uh, while I'm here in town. Cause he also wrote on this show with hmm. me. Oh, we I didn't realize the other Kyle Anderson was an Angelino. He is now. Yes. Okay. He we had, had been. We um, had to get them both on the show at the same absolutely, time. Absolutely. Right? And have them fight. <laughs> well, I'm assuming it'll be like when the two Ron Silvers meet oh, each I other in yeah. Time Cop. <laughs> yeah. So you're saying one one of those Kyle Andersons is, in fact, just the future Kyle Anderson. <laughs> yeah. Kyle Anderson. Got it. Got yeah, it. Probably. Um, but so uh, those two guys wrote on the show with me. And I, I'd never read comics, but um, I was also, I was double majored in English lit. Uh, and I was complaining about how I didn't like modern literature very much. Uh, I, I was much more of an American romantics kind of guy. I, I loved Hawthorne and Poe and Melville and all those. Those were my guys. And as I was talking about why I liked them, um, my buddy Sean said, have you ever tried reading comic books? Like That actually sounds more like what you would like to read. Mm-hmm. And I never had, so he gave me a bundle of comics to start reading. And, and as soon as I started, I, I, all my money went to food, shelter, and then comics uh, for the next few years. 
and I fell in love with him and he got a job at Marvel and then he bounced over to DC and then he came out here for uh, TV. Uh, he worked at Reels Channel for a while <laughs> when that existed. Uh, I, mean, I don't know, it might still exist. I might. He's yeah. anymore, yeah, who knows? The, the first um, thing I thought was like, is that still around? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> it's probably um, not a good sign even if it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, uh, uh, you know, I had kept trying to make theater um, and as almost everyone who tries to make theater in New York, I, I uh, failed gloriously. I came very close. Uh, my theater company did a show. Um, it was a show that Kurt Vonnegut wrote. And uh, uh, it went on Broadway in the 70s and then closed because of a writer's strike and never got back up. Oh. And uh, Vonnegut always felt like he missed it. Like that, that play could have played for years if it had had its chance and everything. Um, and then no one had done it since. And my theater company uh, uh, got together and produced it and I acted in it. Um, and I actually reached out to Vonnegut um, to see if he would be interested in talking to us or doing a talk back. And he actually did. And he came out, he did a talk back and uh, um, was actually very kind to my theater company. And he, he worked with us uh, or he, he humored us. He, he let us talk to him and, and uh, have dinners with him and stuff. And, um, and then um, at the same time, Tim Robbins was doing a show at the public and, and Vonnegut had done, done a talk back at that show. And so then uh, Vonnegut, or me, I can't remember. Uh, actually, got Tim Robbins to come see our show. I can't remember who. Do you often got get in touch yourself with confused uh, with uh, famous people? Yes, it's terrible. It's a weird disease, uh, and it's got me into a lot of trouble. Uh, um, that reminds me of a story when we were a kid. When I was a kid, and my younger brothers were both really little. Yeah, we were at the grocery store video counter, and my youngest brother was saying to my middle brother, "Like, oh, Operation Dumbo Drop. You saw that, member?" And Christopher was like, no, I don't remember. And, and Kevin was like, yes, it was at Travis's house. And you saw, and he was like convincing, trying to convince him for like 10 full minutes. Like, yes, you've seen Operation Dumbo Drop. And then Kevin went, oh, wait, no, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> Little kids. It also, it also reminds me, uh, we don't talk enough about the movie. It's not an amazing movie, but there are great things in it. Uh, Trixie. Get over it. Oh. Do you remember Get Over It with uh, uh, Ben Foster and uh, and Kirsten Dunst and right? uh, yeah and Martin Short as like a theater uh, <laughs> right. director and he says he goes I remember one time Bobby De Niro was telling me well not me it was in a magazine I read <laughs> and just like oh, I love that that um, bit yeah I remember liking that movie wasn't was Kirsten Dunst's character's name Allison boy I don't remember because doesn't Ben Foster sing. Elvis Costello's Allison to I th- her. I think he does. Yes. Yeah. And for I actually, some reason, when I hear that song, I think of that movie. <laughs> I saw it once, seventeen years ago or sixteen years ago. And many years ago, I was actually in contact with the director of it because his dad knew my mom and uh, they connected the two of us. But I, we didn't even have the podcast going at the time, so maybe I should reach out, even though it's been a solid eleven years since I spoke to him. Yeah. Um, which which early two thousands teen comedy do you remember more fondly? Okay. Get over it. Or drive me crazy. Oh, get over it. Okay, I I don't remember which one drive me crazy. Drive is. me crazy is I think Melissa Joan Hart. Melissa Joan Hart, yeah. And then who's the guy in it? Is it is it Jeremy Sisto? Is that no, right? Or is that, that like Adam Grenier? Oh, it might be Adrian Grenier. Yeah, yes, pre-entourage Adrian. Yeah, but the thing I remember about that is that because I, I was really into the band the Donnas. Okay, and they're in Drive Me Crazy, 
but uh, like as a band that's playing, but mm. but they're not called the Donnas in the band. They're called the Electrocutes, which I thought was a oh, cute that's name. Too, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's like uh, it's like fifty a movie from the fifties where like bands would be in there, but not as themselves, but they would still perform. Right, like uh, the Shrimp Shack Shooters. Exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> All right, not, uh, that's neither here nor there. Sorry. <laughs> okay, um, so uh, go back. Oh, I assure story. you, we are interested yeah. in what you are saying. <laughs> well, it, it, Jake listens to the show. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, knows how this goes. I got the game. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, um, Tim Robbins came to see the show, and he came right after um, he'd won the Oscar, uh, mm-hmm. and he'd broken his leg, and we had a, uh, it was on the third floor of this theater, and we had an elevator. We brought Vonnegut up, and we told Tim Robbins we'd get him the elevator, but he, he came up the stairs on his own anyway, um, which is weird. He saw the show, um, and then his theater company ended up doing the show. The Actors Gang did it out here, oh, okay. uh, like like a, a six months or so after uh, he saw us do it. And so, like, we had Vonnegut, we had Tim Robbins, and we were like, we're, we're on our way up, man. Nah, and then the next, we did, like, three more shows, and nobody cared. <laughs> uh, our, it sounds like Tim Robbins stole the glory. Absolutely. That's 100% what he did. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll throw him under the bus a little bit here, I guess. Uh, um, so he came to see the show, and then he went on tour with his band. He was touring with his band, and uh, we wanted to get a quote from him about the show because we talked to him after we actually went and saw his show at the public and, and, and uh, went out to dinner with the actors gang. And, um, and so we were like, all right, we get a show. We're going to put this on all of our or, uh, a quote. We'll put on all of our promotional material. This would be great. Um, and so I was calling his rep, and she was like, oh, uh, you know, he's on tour. He, he, he can't put something together right now. Uh, can you... Just send us something like what you would want him to say. And I was like, well, you know, just he liked the show. Oh, the the um, our theater company was called uh, the Seventh Sign. I was like, the Seventh Sign are talented young men who do good theater, <laughs> and and you should see them. And he was like, oh, well, that looks good, but like write ups. And so we had this whole back and forth. And finally, I just wrote a quote. I was like, here's like exactly we'd love him to say this. And I wrote this quote and sent it to her, and she wrote back. I showed it to Tim. He loves it. Uh, just use that. So we had a Tim Robbins quote on all of our press materials. That was my quote. Uh, but just co-signed uh, by Tim oh Robbins. I'm not exactly sure who you're throwing under the bus in that story. Uh, I mean, him, maybe you a little bit. A little, yeah, the yeah. concept of integrity, I think, for the most part. <laughs> well, I wonder it. how often that happens. Probably, Probably a fair amount. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, there you go. A peek behind the sordid theater curtain. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, now... And now I want to peek behind the um, the comic book curtain. What exactly does an editor do at Marvel Comics or at any comic? Um, I, I think maybe the closest thing I could say is is we're kind of like the producers on mm-hmm. a movie. Um, we'll help put a, a, a book together. It can come together a lot of different ways. Either a writer can pitch us a book or we can know, okay, well, we need a new Spider-Man book or a new X-Men book, and we'll go to a writer and say, hey, we need this book, give us an idea. And sometimes we'll go to five people and say, give us an idea, and we'll pick the best one, we'll have a runoff or something, you know. Um, but so uh, we, we put the book together, we find the writers, and then we find the artists, and, and we, we put them together. We work with the writers to develop the story and everything, um, and then... Uh, we, we essentially kind of do quality control. The scripts will come in and we'll go through and we'll make sure the stories are fun and engaging. The characters are who they are. They're not being out of character or anything. Uh, we'll, we'll try our best to make sure overall world continuity works. Uh-huh. Uh, if in one book Star-Lord's off in space, then in another book he's not uh, in Milwaukee doing something. And um, 
And so we'll make sure all of that stuff is clear. And then we'll send it to the artist and the artist will send us back, you know, sketches, pencils, inks, colors. Uh, uh, and we'll do control on that as well. So we'll make sure the pages all look good. The characters are in the right costume. The eye tracks clearly. Okay. Uh, storytelling is dynamic and in the mighty Marvel manner. And, uh, and then we put it all together and send it to the printer. So when we do, we commission covers and we, uh, do, uh, the ad lineups and the, um, recap pages and letters pages so it's just sort of the the full production end uh, hmm. of that as well so um you brought up something that i want to ask about which is the idea of the continuity thing or, mm-hmm. or especially another character appearing in someone else's main book so let's say nova's visiting new york city and yep. there's a scene where he's going to have a conversation with peter parker who on the Spider-Man team has to sign off on that? Is it the person who's currently writing Spider-Man? Is it the editor? Is it all of them? Uh, usually it's just the editor because typically they're not going to do anything too crazy. If it's just Nova coming to New York and he and Spider-Man are going to go get lunch, then we'll go to the editor and I'll, I'll show him the script. Like, here's what we got. And they just go to lunch and the editor will go, yeah, all right, that's fine. <laughs> but like, if, they, uh, if Nova comes into New York and takes off Spider-Man's arm or something, then right. <laughs> it's like, what if Spider-Man doesn't have an arm for a few issues and they'll go we'll, we'll, we'll need to go talk to Dan Slott about that <laughs> right. uh, and we'll bring in more people and all that stuff but if it's basic uh, meetup it's usually just the editors talk to each other that's interesting so <laughs> sorry I'm, I'm fascinated by this because it didn't even occur to me to ask something like that that uh, but I guess that's true that like Everybody in the company represents different comic lines, and which means different characters. So it's almost like every character has their own agent, and the agents get <laughs> yeah, together. I, that's yeah. actually a great way to put it, yeah. That's so. fascinating. And so what books are you editing right now? Uh, well, right now I am on Punisher, Luke Cage, um, Moon Knight, and... Um, uh, Iron Fist, but I'm I'm transitioning Iron Fist over to another editor because uh, I'm also doing video comics right now, which is this hmm. new thing that we're trying out, um, which is essentially we're doing animation but using uh, comic book artists so that the animation has a comic book feel to it. Okay. Uh, and the artists are doing regular comic book images, but they're doing them in layered files that then yeah. we can go in and manipulate to... Uh, give it a little bit of motion, a little bit of animation, so it's sort of like using comic book art with, uh, you know, sort of basic flash animation mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, to just make a bunch of little shorts and stuff like that to try that out. So, now, uh, we have received, I think we stopped receiving them probably because I bashed every single one of them. We used to receive DVDs of, like, motion comics from Marvel. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, I think, and for some reason, I'm the one that kept reviewing them Never positively. You did the first two, and then you declared yourself the guy, and then you. Which is weird. Two, later, two, two movies later, you regretted that, and I was, and I had to remind you, like you said, you're the guy. I like, know. I guess, right. and I don't know why I volunteered in <laughs> retrospect, um, but uh, but yeah, we stopped receiving them. I don't know. If, and what's more is, uh, well, that's I won't go into it's that. Hesitant, but, we'll peek behind the curtain. We stopped receiving them because we uh, at BP sort of decided to. Uh, intensify our focus when it came to home video reviews right, that's right. to more classical movies yeah. and not doing uh, reviews of recent yeah. stuff or direct video stuff like that. Now, that's why we stopped. <laughs> my issue is, so here we go. Uh, here's, here's the thing. I don't know to what degree you are allowed to bash the comic book industry, but I'm here and I can do that having no real experience with them beyond these motion 
comics. Um, because nine times out of 10, my frustration with them had nothing to do with the technology. It had to do with storyline. And I was, you know, I stopped reading comics in the early nineties. I basically moved away from video games and comic books and just went with movies. Basically the, I, although I did play a handful of like computer games, but even then they were very cinematic. Um, and then in in, but I liked kind of coming to these motion comics because it's like, okay, well at least now I have some idea of what's been going on over the last few years. And it just really fascinated me, especially what they do with sir, what they have done. And they were all, you know, there are Marvel comics, what they did with like Wolverine mm. by just exposing him so much and leaving and trying to explain everything to the point where the character had no mystique. And then they turned him into some kind of, I don't know. It's some kind of like weird, almost Shakespearean character, uh, or maybe even like from like Greek, mythology or something like that not literally but as far as his the size and scope of wolverine's life and i remember just thinking like man i are they running out of ideas or are they just trying to be like well this character's popular so let's just do everything we can possibly think of and so i was going to ask uh not not for you to uh you know bash your employer you've done plenty of that yes (laughs) no problem um are there any trends, whether it be with Marvel, DC, or just comics in general, are there any trends that you have seen that you think are like really exciting, uh, that they, that are relatively recent or, uh, discouraging? Um, again, you can feel free to go after DC if you want, but, um, I don't know, just, uh, because I don't really have much exposure and I'll actually open it up to you as well, David, because you actually still read comic books. Um, so just in general, I wanted to ask your opinion on that. Yeah. Um, as far as like recent trends in comics go, that's interesting to just think about what those recent trends would be. Um, I mean, I, I know the stuff that people complain about, okay. <laughs> which I guess would be what, what uh, I could speak to kind of. Sure. Um, but like there's, there's the reboots that like DC does a bunch. Um, uh, that's something that they've done. And um, people get real frustrated with that because there's, and, and this will actually go to the Wolverine thing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Comics' greatest strength and greatest curse, particularly within the big two superhero comics, is continuity. Mm-hmm. These comic book companies have been around for decades. These mm-hmm. characters have been around for decades. Um, and we're trapped in a lot of ways. We've got, like, um, for instance, we have, like, the, the Marvel sliding timescale, right? Mm-hmm. Where we don't want all of our characters to actually be 70 years old. Right. We, that doesn't work. Um, so what we, we try to say is, but we also don't want time to completely stand still. Right. Some people get married, some people have kids, like this kind of stuff happens. And so you want, and you know, we have teen characters who we want to have graduate from high school into college or something, you know? Um, and so what we generally say is since the beginning of the Marvel universe, it's been somewhere in the area of 13 to 15 years. Okay. All right. So since the Fantastic Four took their ship up and got hit by cosmic rays, 10 to 15 years have passed. And we try to slide that. Um, kind of like The Simpsons started doing. Yeah. Mm. Um, so there would be a thing where, you know, uh, uh, now Reed and Sue got in that rocket somewhere around 2002, <laughs> you know. Um, and what does that mean? And, and And what does that mean to characters like... Uh, Captain America, right. like you know, uh, um, 
he was there in World War II, and we always want to keep him in World War II, but the time between him being in World War II and waking up just goes longer and longer. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, there's also characters like the Punisher. You know, it's pretty easy with the Weed and Sue because they don't have a ton of like very distinct things in their timeline. Yeah. Um, but Punisher was a Vietnam vet, and that was yeah. a, a big part of his character. Um, and the nature of him was very Charles Bronson and like vigilante type of thing, which was big yeah. in the mid seventies and all of the eighties. And I feel like honestly, what with uh, a lot of talk about like gun control and shooting and stuff like that, I'm sure somebody like Punisher seems a lot less, uh, heroic, even anti-heroic at this point, And has seen like an absolute psychopath to yeah. some people. He's a weird character to where he's my, fa- I love Punisher. He's mm-hmm. the only character I ever went and like demanded that they give me. Um, but he's hard, and mm-hmm. and for for a number of reasons, um, we had been playing around for a long time with updating his timeline, and I was the editor who kind of officially moved him up in the like real Marvel universe where he he was no longer a Vietnam vet. We've got him as a veteran of a Middle Eastern war. We're being right. very sort mm-hmm. of loose with that because that covers a long stretch of time now, so that gives us a lot of mobility. Um, but, you know, some people got really upset by that. And we have letters pages, and so I actually addressed this in a couple of letters pages where people said, you know, oh, he's, he's Vietnam, he's Vietnam, and he came out of that Vietnam thing. And, and it, it, it was the bad war where people came back changed mm-hmm. in, a, in a particularly horrible way. And my response was, you know, one of the things we try to do at Marvel is keep things current and keep things real. And right. to say that there was one bad war right. is problematic. And to say that there was one war that people came back changed from and they couldn't have had that happen in something else. Um, I think stops the conversation in a really bad way. Well, and yeah. especially when you think of like, what's a huge element of film noir is that people came out of a good war, right? But they were still deeply affected by the, by the war itself, but they came into a society that said, no, 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 this is a good war. You should feel better. You right. should, you should just forget all this horrible stuff that you experienced. And so, it came out in a different way in film that really seemed to resonate with people. And if you look at stuff like best years of our lives, like that addresses that specifically. And so I feel like, yeah, to just say, okay, all the other wars are great. We can all get behind them. And there is no problem at all with the veterans right. uh, because we, because we are okay with it. Uh, yeah, I definitely well, that, that see what you mean. Universal monsters too. They came out of world war one mm-hmm. because that was the war with the mustard gas and everything where right. people came back really, really disfigured right. and people didn't want to look at them, you know? Yeah. And how do you grapple with these men who wore war on their faces in a way that they yeah. never really had before? Hmm. Um, and so to deny that and then, and again, to, or, or to try to package it in a box that says this only happened here. Right. Um, I, I think is, is potentially dangerous. Um, so you know, I, I I said like no, let's let's move him up. Let's let's have him be a a, um, a more recent veteran because I I think you know veterans are grappling with this kind of stuff all the time. And yeah, to say absolutely. That it just happened to the veterans of one war is crazy. Um, so like I I, I did that. And, um, and, but that, but again, you know, that's something I, I am. You know uh, that I, I, I wrestled with, and his violence as well, because um, I'm a I'm a nice New York liberal, you know, <laughs> and, I, um, uh, and uh, a peaceful Christian as well. Oh, nice! So, um, 
I, I look at that character and I say it, it, it's 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 tough and, and we make a lot of weird lines to make some of this stuff okay. Mm-hmm. Like one of the things uh, Tom Brevoort um, is one of the like great editors at Marvel. He's been there for years and years and he's read every book and he's got an incredible recall and he just he knows Marvel more than anyone. Um, and the thing that he always says about Punisher and about sort of the problems of pitches is people always want to find the one story that nobody ever told. Um, and one of the Punisher ones is they always want to say, oh, what would happen if Punisher killed an innocent person? Because the whole thing about Punisher is he only kills bad guys. He mm-hmm. only kills, there's a very strict line, he only kills bad guys. And so everyone wants to write the story where he accidentally killed somebody mm-hmm. who's innocent. Um, and Tom Brevoort goes, oh, uh, that story ends in a page because he kills an innocent person and then he turns the gun on himself in his right. life. Frank Castle wouldn't stand. Like, it, yeah. there's it, it's uh, um, uh, the end of um, uh, in Bruges. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to think that you got to stick by uh, your principles. Yeah, 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 exactly. And he would 100. percent That's what Frank would do. Uh, and so you know we have to uh, draw those lines. So we obey by that. Um, and then the other thing is um, the the Frank. Like I, I I love the gritty Frank Castle and I love the Garth Ennis stuff where it was a little more real and and particularly when he did like Born and stuff. All, all of that's great. Um, but the Punisher that I love that exists sort of in the real Marvel universe is, a, is, is Bugs Bunny with a gun, you know, he, it's, it's, it's almost a lunatic pace and, and <laughs> character. Uh, and the person who's writing it right now is Becky Cloonan. Uh, she writes a, a great Punisher. And, uh, when I talked to her about it, she initially was real hesitant, but then she went and thought about it. She's a big horror movie, not like I am. And she came back and said, Oh no, no, I got it. He's Jason Voorhees. <laughs> he's, he's Jason Voorhees. He's just a weird monster. And the, the secret to the story is to populate the story with a bunch of crazy kids or over the top villains or others. Like everyone has to be a cartoon. So then Frank can come in and also be the weird dark cartoon <laughs> and sort of wipes them out, you know, and if you go enough over the top and crazy, you let it be this weird, twisted cartoon almost. And, and, and at that point you have safety and absurdism yeah. <laughs> kind of, um, so I, I, I try to sort of balance those things and, and get Frank in a place where I'm comfortable with him as a man who loves him and, and has a, a lot of love for that character. How have you felt about the various depictions of him? Like by like in the, let's say the 1990 Punisher, but also the, the was it 2004 or three, the Thomas Jane, the Thomas yeah, Jane one. Was, and then Ray Stevenson. And then the, on in daredevil. Uh, I, I like them all in various ways. Um, I love Rucker Hauer. Uh, and that crazy 80s sensibility because that wasn't a canon yeah. movie but it essentially D- yeah. Dolph, Dolph Lundgren, Lundgren. Or L- yeah, Lundgren. Yeah. sorry sorry yeah. Lundgren um, that's terrible um, oh your editor to, your letters too. to the editor page is going to uh, yeah. it's going to light up yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to write one. yeah please do I, that's um, like, I don't think I've seen that movie since I was in middle school probably yeah. um, but I have fond memories of it being you know, one of those movies that you'd, yeah. you'd go and went with your buddies and just have a good time. Um, and actually, I like—I really like the Thomas Jane one. I think the Thomas Jane one's a lot of fun. Um, I, I, I like Thomas Jane a lot. I'm a—I'm a—I'm a real sucker for him. And I think the um, 
you know, again, in my image of the Punisher, he is a little cartoony. I love the fight scene with the the big nasty Russian, yeah. uh-huh. uh, the yeah. sort of Johnny Cash up. guy with the guitar who comes in and yeah. plays a song, and he says, "I wrote that for your funeral." Like, great, great. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a good. I'm going to play it at your funeral. I love it. Um, it seems and, odd that they would get him to play at his funeral. I gotta say, well, <laughs> you know, uh, he, he's this, kind, this of is the kind of guy who shows up uninvited. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Um, and, and Travolta, like Travolta is a great Punisher villain in that movie. Mm. He's bananas. He's over the top. He's yeah. a lunatic. I don't want a subtle villain in my Punisher movie. Um, John, John Travolta is, I remember like him reading interviews with him when he sort of had his resurgence with Pulp Fiction and like the, the, the inner turmoil that he had with playing essentially a bad guy. And then he just like <laughs> turned a page and he was like, well, it worked. And then he spent like broken arrow swordfish yeah. in the Punisher, probably some others that I'm missing. He just played nothing but crazy over the top bad guys for like well, 10 years with face off. He's essentially the bad guy. Oh, right. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and yeah, and so much more after that. I mean, he was in, yeah. Uh, was it taking Pelham one, two, three is another one. And That's right. Yeah, he really steered From into Paris that. with love. I never saw. I don't think anyone saw that. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was fun. <laughs> okay. Um, now, while we're on the topic of touchy, you know, issues like with Punisher and stuff, I have questions about Moon Knight for you. Oh, okay. Um, now, I haven't read any of the current run of Moon Knight, so oh, wow, this all, right. all could have been addressed already. <laughs> but I was thinking about Moon Knight a lot recently because of some of the reaction to the the netflix iron fist show and the mm. idea that you know the people saying that iron fist is traditionally this uh a sort of like uh uncomfortable white savior type of character mm. that he goes and he's he goes to you know to asia and he becomes the best at all the things that, <laughs> of asian culture now what's that guy's back. name uh <laughs> oh you mean the the actor uh, no, I mean, uh, who, who? Oh, Danny Rand. Danny, Danny Rand? Rand. Danny Rand. Danny Rand. Got it. Yeah, Danny um, Rand. Got it. Anyway, um, uh, and some people were saying, like, this could, you know, this could have been a chance for Marvel, at least in the Netflix world, to address some of this, make him uh, an Asian character. Uh, now, Moon Knight has is not as well known a character, but has mm. so, so, sort of some of the same problems in terms of his Egyptian roots or whatever. Um, has there been any talk about making him an Egyptian character, which is complicated because Moon Knight is also one of the very few Jewish superheroes yeah. mm-hmm. and you wouldn't want to lose that, I mm-hmm. guess. Uh, has there been any talk about, about that? Uh, not really. Um, but like we also have the safety there of, of we always want to play fast and loose with how real Khonshu is mm-hmm. and how real that Egyptian connection is because right. Mark Spector's crazy. He's got multiple personalities. Yeah. Um, and, uh, um, you know, the idea was he was a mercenary and he was out in the desert and he almost dies. And the specter of, of this, um, uh, Egyptian God Khonshu comes and rescues him, but makes him be his right hand of justice. Essentially. Mm-hmm. He protects travelers of the night, um, mm-hmm. uh, is his basic deal. Um, but yeah, I mean, and he's I super rich. And he's super rich. One of his personalities is Stephen Grant, who is a Hollywood producer and uh, uh, has a lot of money. There's also Jake Lockley, who's a tax cab driver. Um, uh, but so that's that's part of the mystique there. And um, I, you know, I I think uh, we we've got a, a bit of cover with that. And and mm-hmm. uh, again, he's a he's a Jewish character as well, which um, is particularly interesting. I think in the context of that character. Um, 
so we haven't really put a lot of consideration into that um, because there's also one of the things that we try to be careful of and is a real minefield is making a cultural character and then having it be the most sort of obvious version of that cultural character. Like, you know, to, to say like, oh, we're going to make an Egyptian superhero. So his powers are tied to an Egyptian god, right? Like, right. that's the obvious answer. Then he just becomes you know? a WWE wrestler, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it is. And his um, finishing move is like a, the pyramid or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, like, that's also uh, the case with Danny Rand. It's like, well, I mean, there's a, I think that's a very complex issue mm-hmm. um, that I'm glad people had that conversation about and, and are, are still having it um, because I think there's a lot of worthwhile stuff on both sides. Um but it's funny because, you know, they're like, oh, he's steeped in this Eastern mysticism. Why shouldn't he be in Eastern uh, uh, ethnicity? Um, while also, whenever we make an Asian character, they're always Kung Fu, you know, <laughs> like or at least in the heyday when we did like that, all the characters that we have from our sort of, you know, golden age and silver age that were of, uh, of uh, uh, Eastern descent all had that, you know, they're either Kung Fu champions or they're, they're uh, tapping into the spirits of their elders. You know, like right, it's all, yeah. again, that, that professional wrestling style uh, caricature. Um, and so now when we make new characters, like when we have Miss Marvel, there was that idea that um, we did not want her powers to be tied to her religion or her uh, uh, ethnicity. Um, but they still comment on it, which is mm-hmm. great. In the earlier days of the character, they sort of got away from this a little bit. Uh, but, you know, she can embiggen herself. She can she can adjust her size and all this stuff. But earlier, she also um, could change her appearance. Um, but she could only, she could change her appearance to, I, I believe the way we set it up was, you know, she had to be really thinking about that person. That person had to be in the front of her mind. And the person she had in the front of her mind was the person she idolized, who was Carol Danvers, the original Miss Marvel, yeah. who was a beautiful, white, blonde, statuesque woman. And so this, you know, uh, um, young woman um, uh, 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 who has a lot of... Uh, uh, between two worlds, you know, she's an American, she's uh, going to high school, she's got this life, but she also has her life back home uh, with her family, who are very traditional. Um, and uh, she has that that image of like, oh, what's great in America is huh. this beautiful blonde woman hmm. um, and who she thinks is wonderful. And when she gets these powers, she just sort of can't help but change into that. Um but then eventually she doesn't. Eventually she can become her own hero, and that's part of that opening story. I ruined it for you a little bit. I'm sorry. I'm spoiled. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the <laughs> there's a lot more read. good stuff in there. I'm sure. Um, but so, you know, that, that, that was something that when uh, G. Willow Wilson and Sana Amanat were putting that character together, they were very, very intent on doing. It's making sure this character really stood on her own um, and, and had her own sensibility that was not just tied into a, a, a gimmick. I had a question that is uh, a little bit, um, it's still comics related, uh, but it's a little bit different than what we've been talking about, which is, is it also about movies. We should probably talk about movies at some point. <laughs> I think it, honestly, I think it, it, it ties in, um, because it's something that is said by movie producers, but also, uh, I don't know anything that has, 
uh, a devoted fan base. So it could be like a specific comic or it could be a movie based on a comic or a TV show or whatever. Um, anytime something doesn't do super great with critics, there will be a producer or somebody who says, well, we made this for the fans. Hmm. Um, and so I was thinking about, about fan engagement, but also the, the idea. And we talked about this with, uh, with our Kyle Anderson, um, <laughs> uh, the idea of fan, the real Kyle, the, the, I like How to think you? so. Yes. Present day Kyle Anderson. <laughs> um, well, future uh, Kyle Anderson. Yeah. Go to hell. <laughs> uh, well, we know how to kill him, don't we? We just kill our cat, Anderson. Um, oh, you loopered him. So, uh, <laughs> but um, the concept of fan entitlement and this idea that if you stray too far, whether it be in, oh, we adapted uh, this comic book character into a TV show or a movie and we didn't do justice to him, according to certain fans. Um, but I'm reminded of what's going on with Captain America right now mm. and the whole Hydra thing. And I know only a little bit about it uh, because uh, I guess unsurprisingly, um, because everything's political, uh, the various political websites that I read uh, have a lot to say about Captain America being uh, like a secret Hydra agent or something like that, or maybe not so secret anymore. Um, and the thing that always got me about that, about comic books specifically is just like, Oh, you don't like that. Okay. Well, you don't have to, you don't have to believe it. Yeah. Just read any of the other billions of versions of Captain America yeah. and you'll be fine. Like, does the idea of, does the idea of canon really matter anymore when there's so many, there can be so many different versions of a character? I wish it didn't. Okay. I'm one of the few, because I, I came to comics so late, I didn't read them as a kid. Um, so I didn't have that like rabid kid love of canon. Yeah. Um, and so canon's not a thing for me like it is for a bunch of other people. I, I do my job to make sure it all fits in the canon. Mm-hmm. But, like, I, I never read a lot of DC. Um, but I would read the big stories. You know, I read the Long Halloween and Red Sun and, you know, all the, the Arkham uh, events and stuff. Like, so I, I, I checked in on them on occasion when a big, cool story would happen. I have no idea if those stories are in continuity. I think some of them are. I think some of them aren't. I I don't care. It's a good story. That's all that matters to me. And I think there's so much potential with all these characters that can occasionally get really kneecapped because of the continuity, which I think is a bummer. Um, But it's also part of the appeal. And I get that. Like that's something that people really have invested in. And just because they're not like me or what I care about, I, I have to, I have to do right by the characters and the job. So I, we're continuity cool. Um, but as far as like taking the characters into these crazy places and stuff, um, I think it's, it's, you know, it's interesting because sometimes I feel like my job is monkey work. You know, (laughs) Uh, I think anyone can do this because everyone knows how to tell a story. You ask anyone what happened with their day to day and they will tell you, Oh, this happened. And then this happened and this happened. They'll tell you a story. And I'm like, we get it. We get it. You know what though? I, not everybody understands what the most exciting part of the story. That's certainly true. (laughs) Um, but you know, I, I think Nick Spencer's telling a great story with this Captain America stuff. And I also know where it's going and what it's mm-hmm. doing. So I, I, I get frustrated to be like, oh, God, you just, it's, it's. Why don't you tell us all that? Yeah, <laughs> that'd be fun. <laughs> um, that was potentially exclusive. <laughs> still, I still got to do a, a, a drop. A, a drop, drop on that. that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but 
But then I see people who are getting very hurt by this, and I understand it. And I feel that they love Captain America, and we've done something wrong to Captain America. Um, and that that hurts them. And um, one of the things that I think will be interesting maybe to, to bring up here, I don't know, is um, one of my buddies at Marvel is a guy named Jordan White. He edits Deadpool and the Star Wars stuff and everything. One of my, one of my best friends there. And Jordan... Uh, is a is a devout atheist, um, and we have a bunch of fun conversations um, where one of one of the times we talked about like where we got our morals from, where where you develop that, um, and he said something that stuck with me was you know he said that probably the closest moral instruction I ever got was Spider Man. Spider Man taught me how to be a good person. Hmm. Spider Man hmm. taught me what was right and what was wrong. Um, taught me about self-sacrifice and all of this. Um, and he was like, yeah, that's probably the closest I have to like religious moral instruction to Spider-Man. And um, I think that's true for a lot of people. I think pop culture in a lot of ways has become that. It's where we learn who we are mm-hmm. now. Um, and so these people look at Captain America as, in a way, a religious figure. Yeah. Um, and when you do something that steps outside of who that religious figure is, that's heresy. Yeah. Um, and so these people are looking at this as a heretical thing. You have, you have mm-hmm. trespassed against this figure of, of right and might and justice. Whereas we are looking at him as a character that we want to tell interesting stories with. And occasionally an interesting story means making him a bad guy for this, you know, mm-hmm. having, having this kind of thing happen that yields this kind of result, you know? Um, and it's tough because I, I, I want to respect those people's feelings, and I do. Um, but we also want to tell good stories, and we, we can't keep these guys in boxes. And you can't, I mean, particularly with comics, this is, you know, this is like judging a movie halfway through, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, people hate that, and I, I get it. I, <laughs> they think that's a crummy company line. But... It is. This is this is people walking out of a movie thirty minutes in, mm-hmm. saying, "Oh gosh, that bad guy seems to be winning, and I don't like this." <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and and I don't know what to tell you. Know, I, I'm yeah. sorry, but the other thing is the easiest thing to do in the world is not read a comic book. That's phenomenally easy. The majority of people do that every day. <laughs> don't even think about it. Um, and so if, 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 if it's hurting They're you the that everyday much, heroes. <laughs> if it's hurting you that much, I, by all means, sit it out. I like, I, I get it. And I think, you know, um, Marvel <laughs> said that as well. Like, look, are the books we make aren't always for everyone. Um, but that's great. We have something that's for every taste. I, I tried to bring you guys a, a nice collection of stuff here that you'll see. It's it's all it's all different. It's all a different flavor, and that happens within books. One person's greatest Captain America run is somebody else's worst Captain America run. That happens, um, but that's also why it's great that we cycle things around. Nick Spencer won't be writing Captain America forever. Mm-hmm. Somebody else is going to come in and do it, and maybe that guy's going to write your favorite Captain America story, and then you just never have to read that Nick Spencer no. story, <laughs> and you're fine. Um, but I, I, I actually I, I think the story he's writing is amazing. It's one of uh, my favorite stories I've read while we're while I've been at Marvel, and I actually wanted to get you um, the Sam Wilson cap, um, which he's writing. Uh, 
because as a social justice warrior, <laughs> the Sam Wilson cap is sort of the social justice warrior book. He's trying to step up to be the new Captain America. Right. And while the old Captain America falters, uh, he wants to step in his place, uh, but he runs into problems with forces beyond his control, his perception and how, how he's perceived, what people see as him taking over a, a, a one man's uh, legacy and all this stuff. And I, I think... Uh, I think it's fascinating. I mean, I, I think it's one of the most compelling books uh, we've published in a while. And it, it, it bums me out that the narrative got taken over by some of this other stuff. Hmm. We spent so long talking about comics. <laughs> <laughs> we're, uh, we're a movie show. Obviously, you like movies. Yes. Um, uh, I, I was named after uh, my father's favorite John Wayne movie. It's a movie called Big Jake. Okay. Which is great. I recommend you check it out. Super fun. Um and and movies were really big in my household. I'm I'm a, a huge movie nut. Uh, um, so again, you guys' show has been one of the only film podcasts I've managed to stick with because uh, um, I love the way I, I feel like we we view movies and look at movies in a similar way. Um, and again, uh, you know, I think they're incredibly meaningful now. I think they are uh, the thing that I hate that that thing you talk about about making them for the fans mm-hmm. and not the critics. Um, that that bristles the hair on the back of my neck because I think that you have to make movies with a critical eye to say that you're not making you know to say you're not making movies for the critics is to say that you're not making movies critically, mm-hmm. which is right horrendous because again and it's also saying that the quote unquote fans are dumb or something like that yeah. they, they yeah. won't notice these yeah. the the laziness or yeah whatever. if a wonder woman got critical acclaim you didn't see the studio saying like sorry we didn't make it for you yeah. no <laughs> they will use whatever they can if a critic likes yeah. it they'll use it if a critic doesn't like it they'll be like well there's no it's not for them anyway and also people who become critics tend to be fans of movies sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. you know it's, it's not an accident someone devotes their life to watching and thinking and writing about movies all the time they tend to like movies that's right. true but yeah you know i i think one of the big things, too, though, a uh, uh, thing that frustrates me a lot of times that critics and fans talk about is that idea of movies uh, mattering if they mean something. And I think there's a weird divide that happens sometimes where um, when when people want movies to be beautiful and meaningful and all that, they talk about how great movies are and they can change your life and they can do all this kind of stuff. Um, but then when movies falter, when they stumble... There's that idea that, oh, it's just a movie. Like, oh, get over it. It's, it's just a film. Um, and I, 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 that gets under my skin because, again, I think that movies are where we have conversations about who we are now. And to have a movie that, that falters in that way, um, by being problematic, hashtag problematic, or by being, <laughs> you know, uh, um, by putting forth something intentionally or unintentionally, um, is is uh, uh, it's either meaningful or it isn't. You you can't look at those stumbles and say they're insignificant, and then look at the achievements and say these are the greatest things that ever happened and have you know uh, right. uh, uh, meant so much to our our culture and society and all this. Um, so again, that's why I love the conversations we're having about representation, even when I disagree with them, even when I find them frustrating. Um, it's good that they're out there because that that shows that these things are meaningful. You know, it, it, it does matter that we um, talk about what we're doing and we try and get things as right as we can or, or uh, um, 
represent people as well as we can because I think all of that actually is important. And if it's important, it's important when we fuck it up, <laughs> you know, as much as it's important when we get it right. That's true. And that it does, it does the, the mistakes. If you want to look at, this is something I've been thinking about lately because I'm trying to formulate uh, what my next talk at the International Christian Film Festival will be. And I think it's going to be the idea of art as communication um, between the artist and and the audience. And so in the spirit, basically I'm just leading up towards talking about how much I hate VidAngel (laughs) because, uh, because I'll be talking to an audience that very much likes VidAngel. And if we're looking at, at art as a conversation, then what VidAngel is doing and what it allows the audience to do is to say, I'm interested in what you have to say to a point. Mm. And I will actually keep you from talking about what you are talking about the way you prefer to talk about it because it offends my sensibilities. And that bothers me tremendously. But at the, but if you want to look at art as a, as a very large conversation, then even the missteps can be important. You know, uh, it, not unlike when my wife and I have an argument that mm-hmm. yes, it's unpleasant in the moment, but you can learn a lot from it. And quite possibly more than if everything was going well all the time. But also tell you, you should just put down the toilet seat. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? There are some things that you just do on principle and we live in a world of equality, David. How about she uh, puts it up from time to time? What do you think of that? It's one of the dumbest arguments in the world. I like it. Uh, no, I'm, I'm all for that. argument. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that, that's, that's a bulletproof argument. <laughs> that's like, we're off topic now, but like, I know it's a cliche for a kid when he's like, he or she is arguing with their parents to say, I didn't ask to be born, you know, but also, okay. There's no comeback to that. That's exactly right. Like to me, a parent brought a kid into the world. Everything is their fault then, right? The kid's kind of off the hook because the kid didn't ask to be born. That's true. I feel like there's no comeback to that argument that, that, that works. Well, and it's, I guess you could say, yeah, but we didn't expect to have you. (laughs) That's still, that's still your fault. Absolutely. (laughs) But that's the thing is to how far does that go? I didn't ask to be born, so I might as well murder this guy. Uh, well, I, I mean, I wouldn't support that. <laughs> sure. Um, but the, you can't really have a comeback again against it. I don't know. I feel like we should talk to a lawyer and just see, <laughs> see how, what, how that holds up in court. Okay. We're off topic. Sorry. <laughs> um, what kind of movies do you like? What are some of your favorite movies before we, before we look towards wrapping things up here? Um, well, I, gosh, I wish I could remember. Um, I could try and pull it up, but that's going to take too much time. Be stupid. Uh, I was inspired by the top 100 list that you would make uh, on occasion. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and so uh, a year or two ago, I went and, and made one myself. Um, and I'm trying to remember the movies that were on the like the top five or something. I remember Jaws was number one. Um, uh, Possession by Andrzej Zalowski, I think, was number two. I know it. I've never seen it. The Thin Man was up okay. there. Nothing sure. wrong with that. Um, uh, I actually, I, I am in the middle of reading the book for the first time. I, the movie is literally one of my favorite movies in my top five, and I never read the book. It's great. I've read the book. I like the book. Here's what's interesting is that there's nothing in the book that suggests that, uh, uh, not Nick Powell, uh, Nick and Nora Charles. Charles, thank yeah. you, because it's William Powell. William Powell yeah. uh, that Nick Charles. There's nothing really in the book to suggest that he is like William Powell. Uh, like mm. he's 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 married and he's upper class and all that. Uh, but 
the way Powell plays him is just kind of this lovable scamp. Yeah. But Hammett writes him not super unlike, as far as his vocal patterns, mm-hmm. not really that different than Sam Spade. Yeah. And so it kind of makes... It, it's it's what makes the movie so special, I think. Oh, is yeah. There's some really inspired casting there. And why I'm actually, because I saw the movie first, I, I read the book. And I was like, this is good and all. But, you know, <laughs> it's not as charming as, as the film, I think. No, it's amazing. I, you're absolutely right. It's a... Uh, um a testament to what an actor can do is mm-hmm. you've talked about like the, the idea of the actor and what do they bring to it and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, I mean, so much of the lines come straight from the book. Like, yeah. uh, uh, the, the story, at least as far as I'm in it is pretty, pretty right there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, William Powell took that stuff and yeah, that's absolutely not the yeah. character you see, but it's also not, not the character. Um, and it's amazing. And I guess when you think of like him and Myrna Loy, like their chemistry, which is in the book as well. But when you have two actors that just play off each other so well, that's just like, that's something that try as you might, you just can't really, you can't guarantee that in, in a book because people are only ever going to read it through their own filter. And if mm-hmm. these characters don't have, if they can't imagine them having that level of chemistry, then, you know, maybe this is maybe Nick and Nora Charles aren't super happy in their marriage. But then you see William Powell and Myrna Lloyd. It's like these, this is the happiest couple ever, <laughs> mostly because they're drunk all the time. But yeah, that's is that all right. in the book? Are they drunks in the book? Yeah. 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 Oh, OK. Um, yeah, that's pretty common I, in, his, <laughs> in his books. Yeah, because I, I, I actually just finished reading Red Harvest and the amount that people drink in that book is amazing. Like people drink to recover from having drunk. Like oh, Hair yeah. of the Dog is all over that book. They drink to wake up. Like there's a bit where the guy's like, I've been awake for 36 hours and I got a, he gets called in to go to somebody's house and go through a whole other thing. It's like, so I pour myself three scotches and to stay awake, which is the craziest thing I've ever read. But I'm like, all right, well, I guess. Alcohol worked differently back then. Uh, maybe so. A different process. But was entirely. Dashiell Hammett a drunk? Uh, probably. I mean, he was a Pinkerton guy. Yeah, you that's don't right. get through that job sober, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't imagine. Yeah, there was, uh, I would say Red Harvest, not only is it my favorite of his books, though I am a big fan of The Glass Key, it's not only my favorite of his books, it maybe is like a top three or four book for me of all time. I, I couldn't believe it. It was so good. And it was, uh, you guys watched The Good Place? Uh, I do. Yeah. It's a funny thing. Um, it's a weird thing to connect those two. Uh, but one of the things I loved about The Good Place that I, I loved about Red Harvest, too, is he's constantly setting up something that seems like it's going to be the big plot and then resolves it right away. And you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like somebody gets murdered and you're like, oh, man, who killed that guy? That's got to be. Oh, he's figured it out. Oh, he yeah. knows who killed that guy. And now I yeah. don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and the same thing happened in The Good Place all the time, which I loved. Just like, yeah. you know, somebody slides that note under the door and it's like, who slid that note? That's the next four episodes. Oh, it's right at the top of the next episode. <laughs> they figured it out. And it's yeah. like, I, I love Korean cinema. And I think Koreans, they're the masters of that. They're so good at that. We're just set something up and then pull the rug out from under you constantly. Um, Are you excited for Okja? I am. I, 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 just, I, I just watched it last night. Is it good? Uh, it's good. It's very good. Okay. Is right. it, it's not, as far as Bong Joon-ho movies go, it feels like it's not up to par. But a, a mediocre Bong Joon-ho movie is still better than most movies. Yeah. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's a blast. 
Absolutely. Um, uh, I can't wait. I, I've, I've seen the uh, billboards driving around town, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which are super great. Um, I love the character design of that creature. It looks. I haven't seen a trailer or anything okay. yet, so I, I've just seen the image of the creature and the, the billboards and... I'm on oh, board. Good. I mean, Bob Jinho's amazing. So. Yeah, that's that's good. Um, I was, uh, I forget if I was telling you this, David. Um, I was in a, a screening last week, and I happened to overhear uh, the conversation of a, a couple other, uh, cr- I would assume, critics, or at the very least, movie people. And they were talking about Snowpiercer. And I know that there are people that don't really care for Snowpiercer. I don't love it as much as some people. Well, if, as you recall... Because did, of our yeah. weighted voting, yeah, Snowpiercer <laughs> made BP's official worst of the year list. Yeah, because <laughs> is, two two of our writers really did not care. Really for hated it. it because there's weighted voting and made it onto the list. Um, yeah. And I believe that's because of its inclusion. That's where we uh, decided. Like, I guess we have to write a, a little preface here and say yeah. that, uh, um, which is fine. But uh, what's interesting though is that since the release of that film, because it was, I mean, at the time everyone I knew really liked it and some people absolutely loved it. Um, but then, uh, since then I've heard here and there more people talk about how they think it's just like really overwrought and all that. And then, uh, I heard like these three critics sitting over here and they were talking about Oak John. Then they were talking about uh, Snowpiercer, and, uh, all three of them, uh, agreed that they hated it. And one person even said like, it's like, well, I hate it. Of course. Mm. And I was like, of course, <laughs> I was like, this is, uh, I don't know. And so I just wondered, you were, li- you were listening, listening in on a mini echo chamber is what you were doing. That's, there, kind of the, that's, that's what I yeah, think. Yeah. Um, but I have heard it in other places just, and read it on read it like uh, various places online. So like, I wonder if people have just started to turn on that film and I'm not sure why that would be. Mm. Um, I, mean, I think that happens when films are, so critically beloved sometimes yeah. by a, a lot of people. Because like, I had a similar... I, I love Bong Joon-ho. I wasn't in love with Snowpiercer. I, I, I liked a lot of parts of it, but I, yeah. I didn't find it held together very well. And the more people talked about how it was one of the greatest movies of the year and maybe one of the greatest sci-fi movies of the past 20 and all this stuff, like... I, I just kept thinking about all the things I didn't like about it, you know? And she goes like, no, no, they're wrong, because this doesn't work, and this doesn't work. Yeah. Doesn't. And so you just, like, focus in on it, and then you forget all the good things that happen in the movie that you yeah. like. And Yeah, that definitely happens to me when, when uh, if I think a movie's pretty good, and then everyone yeah. is over the moon about it. Like, The Dark yeah. Knight is a movie that I've, <laughs> that I've uh, ever seen, like, from the second time I saw it, I was like, you guys, <laughs> it's like good, a, but it's... <laughs> yeah, but, I, like, I've uh, gone back, and, you know, I, I watched Snowpiercer, and I go like, oh no, this is good. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. it, it's not perfect. It's not great. There's a lot of yeah. sections of it I get frustrated by. Tilda Swinton's great. Tilda's Alison amazing. Pill is great. Alison Pill's wonderful. Uh, I'm a big Alison Pill fan. Yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll say, yeah, I think there is a tendency for people to just have a, a backlash. You never, by the time the Oscars rolled around last year, you never would have known that La La Land was so critically beloved when it first played, you know, what was it? Telluride or wherever. I can't remember. Uh, was it Toronto or Telluride? I, I can't remember wherever it premiered, uh, to, uh, huge, huge acclaim. And yeah. then by the, and then it was like, everyone's least least, it was the Shakespeare in love of, <laughs> yeah. of the Oscars, which is a bummer. Cause well, and it's, that's frustrating on two levels. Cause Shakespeare in love is great. And it, it's been so long since I've seen it that I don't know that I could, it is a, there's really no element to that film. I don't, I don't like it's, I mean, it's Stoppard, right? Uh, I believe. Best yeah, right. I think yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. It's a great script, yeah. wonderful acting all around. Even like Joseph finds like that character, the way it's written and the way he plays it is a little bit 
bland, but I think he still plays it quite well. And it's, that might be because everybody around him is just so delightfully, Mm -hmm. I won't say over the top. I'll say theatrical is basically the same. Um, but that's also perfectly appropriate for Shakespeare because most lead characters in Shakespeare are the most boring characters. I guess that's true. Uh, particularly in the comedies. Um, Hmm. The beautiful, wonderful, crazy supporting characters, and whoa, those romantic leads are the just <laughs> tepid water, man. <laughs> right, oh. right. It's they're like Orlando Bloom and Kira Knightley to the Johnny Depp and uh, uh, Jeffrey Rush. David, I know what I'm getting you for your birthday this year. I'm getting you the full five movie Blu-ray set. Uh, just, just the first three will do. I'm, I'm glad you were singing yeah. those praises because I really like those last two as well. I, I don't think they're. I, I, I think they're a bit. I'm not with them all the way through those crazy long running times. Yeah. But I just think letting Gore Verbinski off the chain is a beautiful thing, man. I, I, I yeah. love it. The stuff that sings in those movies sings. I like that you you refer to them as the last two as though the actual last two don't exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I haven't seen the last, the real last two, so I have no, I have no clue. Yeah, uh, I'm, I still need to see a cure for wellness. Um, Yeah, oh, absolutely. Oh, speaking of movies that I like that people didn't like, I remember uh, I loved, uh, not didn't love, but I, I sang the praises of the Great Wall. Yeah, and then you tweeted me that you convinced some of your coworkers. I did we, based on my glowing. <laughs> we we have a Marvel movie night. The I think it's the last Wednesday of every month, uh-huh. um, and we have a voting process for it. So usually it ends up being a real weird movie because we don't want to go see a movie that everyone else, if you've seen already, it's off right. the list. And you can veto a movie, so a lot of people will be like, oh, we see a movie on a Wednesday night after work. So it's like, oh, well, I want to see this movie with my wife, and she can't make it, so right. I'm going to take out this movie that I really want to see. So you end up seeing something kind of weird. And um, we, as we were putting that list together, I was like, that's it. Uh-huh. That's no one's going to have seen this. No one's saving this for their wives or boyfriends <laughs> or whatever. Um, so I was going around. I was like, we got to see this great wall, man. we got to see it. <laughs> um, <laughs> And we ended up going, and people had a great time. I, so, yeah, I well, what was the blast, overall... Uh, uh, everybody really liked it. I think one person didn't. I think okay. there was one person. And even that one person was just like, like <laughs> Didn't hate it, but just like, Meh. And then everyone else, crazy charmed. It, oh, does, it does seem like something that would go over well with like comic book creators. Like It's just from a, the use of the way it uses color and just a lot of those sequences oh, yeah. seem like it could be adapted into a comic book or it was adapted from a comic book. Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, Crane Squad for life. Just the Crane Squad alone was the greatest. Um, was so cool visually. Yeah. And, um, you know, they do a wonderful job in that movie, but like, particularly with the Crane Squad, with a bunch of them, where like, that idea of sacrifice, which the Chinese movies do very well. I, I suppose, I don't know that's something in the culture, but like, they're actually very invested in that, which I think is beautiful. Um, but they don't you like. You should ask Danny Rand. I'm sure Danny Rand knows <laughs> all about Danny it. Danny Rand? <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, they do it in a way in that movie where, like, if that was in an American movie where the ladies are jumping off and getting eaten by the. Like, every death would be in slow motion, or you see someone on the wall, like, screaming, no! And everyone who dies would have a name so they can say, you know, <laughs> ah, Julie, no! Um, but in that movie, they're just, they're going, uh-huh. they're going, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're being taken out. And then another person steps up and jumps off and, and it's starting all over again. And that to me was so much more affecting. Like you're seeing right. these people just go up and give their lives to defend this wall and stuff. And I saw that. And I was just like, this is, I, I found yeah. that so much more emotionally engaging than having the, you know, 
Michael Bay moment. <laughs> yeah. I just saw Transformers uh, with a friend of mine. I, I the new go one? see it. Yeah, we oh. go see all of them. My buddy Sean Ryan, because I would drag him to so many crazy movies that he would hate. Uh, and he loves Michael Bay, so I go see the Transformers wow. movies with him. I'm a good friend. That's that's, that's, a, that's a good friend. Oh God, they're insane. Well, Jake, um, thank you so much for coming and oh uh, talking mostly comics with us uh, for an hour and twenty minutes. Yes, thank you guys for staying up late. Uh, oh, that's, uh, peek behind the curtain. It, it is it is late this evening. It's uh, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll be up for probably about five more hours. Yeah, he, he's, yeah <laughs> I have to get up. It's uh, five forty-five in the morning. So oh, uh, oh gosh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna get out of here. So thanks for thanks for coming. This has been a blast. Absolutely. Um, thanks for having me. Uh, you at home, you can find us at battleshipretention.com. That's where you can find all, all, all sorts of stuff, including my review of Oakja and my review of the great wall. If you want to go <laughs> search for that, uh, that's there. Um, uh, Tyler's got a review up of the beguiled. Uh, that's right. And by uh, the time this goes up, there will be a uh, war for the planet of the apes review as well. Oh, this is an exciting week Yeah, with Oakja and war for the planet of the apes and yeah. baby driver. We got a lot of good, uh, reviews. Yeah um uh, on the site oh very exciting all right but those are all up by the time you're hearing this you can email us at david at battleship or tyler at battleship you can follow me david on twitter at davy pretension you can follow tyler at tyler pretension uh tyler what's going on at more than one lesson right now let's see right now there uh let's see there are new episodes of the other podcasts in the, uh, I still haven't decided. I, I the toy faculty. with the idea of calling it the faculty, but I, like the faculty. I still haven't committed to that. Um, although you seem to enjoy it, but you like well, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. But also because it makes me think of the faculty, Robert Rodriguez, yeah. the faculty I'm picturing, but BB Newworth yeah. and John Stewart. I have my and, theories uh, about, uh, Reed Lackey host of, uh, the fear of God. Um, I think he might be an alien. <laughs> they're aliens, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. They're okay. aliens. Yeah. And then who's, um, Robert Patrick, Robert Patrick is there in that. Go. Yeah. He's yeah. the football coach. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a very cool movie. Uh, Did you say Piper Laurie already? I didn't say, no, Piper Laurie. Yeah. no, yeah. um, um but uh, I don't think is, does John Stewart become. Uh, no, he gets his fingers. He cut gets off. his fingers cut off. Yeah, and he gets stabbed in the eye, and you see him with an eye patch later at yeah. the very end. That's yeah. right. So because he's a nice watch guy. That again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not to sound like an old man, but like uh, there's some there's some. We were talking, Tyler. You and I were talking off off mic earlier. I won't say about who, but about an actor that is very '90s or is yes. thought of as very '90s. And there's some there's certain people that I. I miss seeing. I miss seeing Clea Duvall in movies. Yeah, you know what me I mean. Me too. I um, thought she was great. Although I literally saw Clea Duvall at the movies the other day. She was at the LA Film Fest. Um, How's she doing? And I saw her. I, I appeared, weirdly a lot of Clea Duvall sightings. I also saw her on Christmas Eve wow. um, at the uh, the Tamo Shanter. We're having some steak with with friends. It's a semi regular Christmas Eve tradition for me and my, my wife is what's it called the Tamo Shanter. It's one of the oldest restaurants in Los Angeles. It's on uh, Los Feliz Boulevard. It's been there since like the early 1920s. Sounds like you can get a good steak there. That's what it is. The steakhouse. I like that. Um, and when uh, we have certain friends where if we're in town for Christmas, it is supposed to going home to our families. We have Christmas Eve steaks at Tamo Shanter. All right. Um, and I saw clean up there on Christmas Eve. Anyway, the faculty, more than one lesson. Oh, yes. So uh, so there's a new uh, episode of uh, The Fear of God in which they talk about Zodiac. There's a new episode of uh, Salty Cinema in which uh, Jacob inter- uh, uh, interviews uh, a filmmaker named Tim Kay, like the letter K, okay. uh, who has worked with Funny or Die, and he's directed commercials and that sort of thing. Um, and then uh, 
I don't think I'll push uh, my episode, the Minnesota of uh, More Than One Lesson, because okay. it's uh, oddly personal. Um, people can listen to it, but I won't talk about it here. Okay. Um, that's us. Jake, where can people find you on the internet? Or uh, what, what, Ryan, remind us, remind us again ugh, which books we can pick up at our local comic seller uh, that you uh, added. Well, uh, we, we just wrapped an amazing run of Moon Knight, so if you can find the, the trades on that, um, uh, Jeff Lemire and Greg Smallwood's run is, is one of the most beautiful books. I did the same thing with a, my Black Widow book also wrapped recently, which was uh, Mark Wade and Chris Samney, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now I am also doing uh, Punisher, Luke Cage, and um, Iron Fist, which again is, is transitioning over to the brilliant Mark Basso. Um, and uh, I, I feel like there's one I'm forgetting and it's late. This <laughs> 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 is terrible. Um, um, but yeah, definitely pick up uh, those. And um, yeah, yeah, keep reading comics. Yeah. Your Twitter? Oh, and my Twitter is uh, Jake G. Thomas. That's All right. me. All right. Thanks again for being here, Jake. Oh my gosh, thanks for having me. It was great. Thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 